0: Bibles to Romans chapter 16. We're going to be looking today at verses 5 through 16. It's a lot larger group of verses that I normally would attempt to cover in one one message, but this is basically the conclusion of Romans where Paul is addressing uh, lots of believers. He's calling them by name. There's more than 20 believers mentioned here that he's calling out and he's thanking God for and praising God for and he's just given us a a really good glimpse into the life of a a local church back in the New Testament days and what that looked like. I want you to keep in mind their churches would have met in a house and they would have had uh, a a little bit different structure than we do just from being in a house and we've experienced that in our early years. If you're a part of that, you know how much more intimate that is and how much more you can get to know people in in that kind of situation. So I've kind of broken this down into a a group of things that he calls different believers. And so I'm going to help you mark your Bibles and then uh, try to explain it as we go along. I think as as a whole, what we'll see here is the love that is displayed in, in a proper church. I'm not going to say it's in all churches, but in a proper church, there is a display of the love of the Lord that is like no other. And so first of all, he mentioned, mentions those that are saved, those who have been saved. Now to be saved means to uh, do what Romans chapter 10 said a few weeks ago, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you call on God, asking him to forgive you of your sins and become the Lord of your life, that's, that's the simple way you get saved because Jesus has already done all the work. And so, if you'll look with me, I'm just going to show you uh, different places where he mentions the saved. First of all, in verse 5, he says, likewise, greet the church that is in, uh, referring back here to uh, Priscilla and Aquila that is in their house. He says, greet my beloved Epineus, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. And so, this guy, Epineus, was the, the first one saved, apparently. In Achaia, so he's the he's the first one who gets saved. If you uh, have a uh, have children, you can remember when your first child gets saved, or something like that, or uh, some of your families as you begin to go to church, you can remember the first one who gets saved. So this holds a special place in Paul's life because he's the first one saved. If you look down in verse 15 with me, he says, Logos and Julia." Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints. I'm focusing on the word saints who are with them. So all those, the word saints means holy ones, all the Christians who are with them. He says, I want you to greet all of those. So he's writing this to many saints, not just one or two people. Then in verse 13, if you look there with me, he says, greet Rufus chosen in the Lord and his mother in mine. So the word chosen there is to be called out of God. And that's what God does with all of us who get saved. I, I often refer to him chasing us down when we're chosen. I know he chased me down. I was running as hard as I could. And when you're running from the Lord, you can't get away. He'll catch you. And it says in verse 13, Greek Rufus, the one who was chosen. There's something specific about Rufus getting saved that strikes Paul's attention that he wants to make mention of it here. If you know much about Rufus, he is listed in the New Testament as one of the sons of Simon. And if you remember, Simon was, was the man who, when Jesus was on the road to the cross, and he, uh, he laid down the, the, we talked about this a few weeks ago, the, the top beam of the cross, uh, that log that made the top beam, he laid it down, and the Roman soldiers said, you carry his cross. You remember that? That was Simon, It would have been Rufus, Rufus' dad. So it it would lead us to believe that maybe Simon was a believer and a follower of Jesus. He carried his cross. But maybe Rufus was that one child of Simon's that was hard to get. You know, you've seen it in a family. There's one that's just a little more stubborn. That was me and my family. The last one to get saved, not the first, the last one, the one who runs the hardest from God. And so he mentions Rufus here chosen of the Lord. God tracked him down and saved him. And then one more that he mentions is in verse 10. And focusing on the word approved here. He says, Greet Apollos approved in Christ. And so there's something that this Appellus has done that has verified his salvation. Approved means to be tried and displayed as a true Christian. I had a man one time I was counseling and his wife his wife was a mess. She, uh, she was. Uh, that's a nice word, saying a mess. She was. Uh, she did things she shouldn't do, and she was not loving towards him. And he kept loving her, and he kept forgiving her. And there came a day where I did his funeral. I told my wife, I said, I'm never more certain in, in, in all the funerals I've done that this man is saved, because you usually you don't really know. But his forgiveness and his reaffirmation of his wife and loving of his wife is, I well, do we get into what she did, but as bad as it was, it displayed the love of God again. God had obviously done a strong work in his life and proven that he had genuine faith, and that's what Paul is saying here about this man. So there is a church, and the church is made up of saved people. That's a great Uh, a great thing isn't it they're made up of saved people i've been in churches before where uh, it seems like they're not made up of saved people y'all y'all with me it's it's uh, there are things going on and and treatment of each other that happens uh, not among the saved but among the unsaved when our church started uh, we're going through a new members class now. Some some of you are. And uh, when our church started, that was one of the things that we wanted to do. We wanted to have a a new members class. And one of the, you say, why would you do that? Why would you make somebody have to go through a class to join a church? Well, there was really one really big reason. We wanted to make sure that everybody that joined the church was saved. Because I'm going to tell you, as a pastor, pastoring a church full of saved people. Is a lot easier than pastoring a church full of some who are not saved. Did did y'all know that? It's it's just, it's a big difference. And so uh, we wanted to focus on saved people. And this is where the church gets a bad name in the community sometimes, is because there'll be people who go to a particular church for a really long time and claim that church, but they're really not saved. They've never been born again. They don't have the, the image of Christ in them, and they don't love like Jesus loves, and they don't serve like Jesus serves. And so it can really give a church a bad name if, if somebody isn't saved who is claiming that particular church. And so they were saved. Number two, he calls several of these his beloved. We had this word uh, some while back in the book of Romans. It's the Greek word agape agapetos. It means... Uh, It means that you are my beloved. I have great love for you, great respect for you. We see this in verse 8. He says, Greek, Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. I like to use the word agapetos. I think I told you back when we covered this before. I had a friend in college, all of his buddies. He called us, I was one of his friends. He called me agapetos. And he would greet me. He would say agapetos, just like that. And you would feel so loved when he said it. It's also in verse 9. He says, Great Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachis, my beloved. And then he says it again in verse 12. He says, Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis. So there's this beloved group who he's saying, uh, these are ones I love so much. Let me just ask you a question. Just thinking about our church. Are there certain people in our church, you know this, I know they love me. <laughs> do you have some of those? I feel this way about Eric. I just do I, feel, I know Eric loves me. I feel that way. And I so do. he does. <laughs> I, I believe you. I actually believe you. <laughs> and so you can call me a copy top. But this that that does something to you to know that somebody loves you. And so I want to encourage us to do that with each other to have that kind of beloved relationship. You know, the longer you're together with somebody in church, do you know this, the harder that gets to be. You know why? Because you start to get to know them really good, and you're going to find out things that, that aren't so good. They're, everybody's got some problems. You all know that? Everybody's got some quirks and some uh, things that they may not do as well as you in certain areas. And if we're going to love like Jesus loves... You're going to love all the parts of them, good and bad, and even the, the false that you find out. Because that's the way Jesus loves us. He came when we are, he says, when you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. He took you in unlovable parts at all, and he saved you. And so if we're going to be a church that's loving like that, it's going to have agapitas, beloved among us, you're going to have to overlook some Some faults and some areas that some people still need to grow and some areas that a particular family still needs to grow. If you can't do that, you'll not be a loving church. Number three, he talks about those who labor. Those who labor. To labor is to work until you get tired. Until you get weary. You ever done that? To be so weary. You're like, yeah, I do that every day. To grow tired or exhausted from Lots of work. There's two kinds of work, though. Don't get this confused. There's bodily work, and then there's mental or emotional work. So you can work with your hands. You could do something like mow the grass or build something, and you can get physically exhausted. But you can also do something emotionally uh, laborsome. Like we have two two of our men right now. That's where they're at today. We had one, Ronnie's stepfather passed away. Lee's mother has passed away. And if you minister to them, if you care for them, if you reach out to them in some way, uh, that can weary you. That, that is a labor of love emotionally that can, can drain you. If you ever visited somebody, you know that that can weary you. And so we see this word labor used in verse 6. If you'll look there with me, it says, Greek Mary, who labored much for us. Paul said this now. Greet Mary. She worked hard for us. I could name some ladies here in our church. So I'll, I'll try not to do that. Verse 12, he says, Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa who have labored in the Lord. So here again, somebody who's worked hard. And then again in verse 12, the end of it, Greet the beloved Persis who labored much in the Lord. When it says in the New Testament labored much, or it uses this word much, You know, in the Greek, it usually uses the word twice. It usually says labored, labored. That's what it means. She labored, labored in the Lord for us. And so to think about those people who when you had a need have come alongside of you and labored and been there to help you and been there to work alongside of you bodily or mentally or emotionally, that's a beautiful thing. And that's what Jesus does. Listen to this verse, Luke chapter 5, verse 5. He says, But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word I'll let down the net. So this is when Simon Peter was fishing and they fished all night. I think they probably would have started during the day. They fished all day. They've got nothing. Then they're still fishing all night. They've still got nothing. And Jesus comes. And he says, let down your net on the other side of the boat. And Peter says, Master, we've already worked so hard. The word toiled there is the word labored. We've labored till exhaustion. We can't pull the net in anymore. And it's empty. There's no fish in it. And Jesus says, let it down on the other side and you will get a great catch of fish. And they did get a great catch of fish. What's the point? You can get a lot more done with Jesus than without him. You ever work today, and at the end of the day, you're like, I, I didn't get anything done. I, I think that's Cindy's role in my life. She'll be like, John, what did you get done? Like, oh, nothing. Nothing. I worked hard all day. She goes, I know I can tell, but what did you get done? Nothing. And so the key point is you need Jesus there with you, and you turning your day over to the Lord. in just the beginning, Lord, direct the deeds of my day. Direct the labor of my day. And let me accomplish something as I labor today. Number four, he mentions helpers. Uh, we also covered this word before. It's down in verse 9. He says, Greek urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. That word fellow worker is usually translated helper. Uh, it is the word we looked at a few weeks ago called synergy. The Greek word synergy, which means that when two people work together, you get more Accomplished. I gave you the illustration on that day with that message between me and Brad. If Brad could pick up 100 pounds and I could pick up 100 pounds, if we both lift together, we can pick up 300 pounds. There's much more that can be done when you work together. And so Paul is saying here greet these who were my helpers, my fellow workers. They came and I got way more done with them than I would have got done without them. And again, that's just like the Lord. (coughs) Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6 says, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. God can do more for you in 30 seconds than you can do for yourself in 30 years. Did you know that? You got a problem, you got a burden, you got a heartache, you got something you need help. And you often find yourself crying out to the Lord to help you. When the Lord decides to help you, he can get a whole lot done. He'll be your helper, your synergy in a way that you've never experienced before in your life. And you'll sit there in amazement as you look at what all the Lord has done for you in that day when he is your helper. Number five. He mentions in two places here the households. And so a household, in our context, would be like a family. It would be like a particular family in our church. He calls them households. We see this in verse 10. He says at the end of verse 10, who are of the household of Aristobulus. And then he says it again in verse 11, those who are of the household of Narcissus. And so John chapter 4, verse 53 says, So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives, and he himself believed, and his whole household. And so this is about the man who had the, the son who was sick. And he tracks down Jesus, and he says, Jesus, my son is sick. How do you heal? If you would heal him, he could be healed. And Jesus says, go your way this hour. He'll be healed. And the man goes and finds that his son is healed. And the Bible says he he inquired what hour did he get better? What hour was he healed? And they tell him and it was the same hour in which he talked to Jesus. And so then it says this man, that same hour, believed on God. He believed unto salvation. He believed and he was saved. And then it says in the end of that verse, he and his whole household. What does that mean? His wife and kids also got saved. There's many places in the New Testament, I was going to give you a list of these that I'm not going to today, but there's many places in the New Testament where there's a repetition of these words. He and his whole household believed. He and his whole family believed. And the reason why is because back then the household was the center of belief. That family unit was the center of belief and the center of teaching. But today, a lot of our children, sadly, are getting their belief systems and their teaching from the Internet, not from their fathers. Cindy and I have counseled several families that have children the same age as ours that are grown now. They have grown children, adult children, and and they're grieved and broken because their adult children have gone in a direction where they no longer follow the Lord, or they no longer believe in the things of the Lord. And we will ask these parents, what happened? We know you, You, we know you to have been uh, churchgoers and loving the Lord and following the Lord for many years. What happened? And on numerous occasions, their response has been, we think the internet turned our children. They were getting more from the internet than they were from us. And they went a totally different direction than we had raised them. I want you to let that settle in. The household back then, in the New Testament days, had a strong bond, so much so that it was the hub of teaching. If you, men, if you decided you're going to follow God and you're going to teach the things of God, then your whole household would have naturally followed. That's not the case today. You've got to do more. You've got to teach more. You've got to focus more on pouring the truths of God into your family. Listen, I'm going to put a weight on you guys today. I want to I lay a weight on you. I want you to get this weight to the extent that you believe God. Your family will follow. And that's a heavy weight, isn't it? To the extent that you trust God and worship God and hold to the things of God, your family will follow. And so when we begin to talk about households in a loving church, we know this. My wife often says it takes a village to raise our children, our four. But we know this, that in in the church family, there are lots of other Christians who support your family's growth and your growth and your children's growth. And that's a beautiful thing as we grow together in the Lord. And so he mentions different parts of the family here. And the number five in your notes, he mentions brothers and sisters, first of all. We see this in verse 14 and verse 15. He says in verse 14, Greek, Assythchitus, Phlegion, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who were with them. So these are all the brothers. It's is just a list of men. Then verse 15, Greek, Philegius and Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints who were with them. So here he mentions sisters. So there's, what's he saying here? There's men and women in the church who, because of the love of the church, they're like, the men are like brothers, the ladies are like sisters. Not only are they like brothers and sisters, they're also like mothers. Look at verse 13 when he mentioned Rufus. He said, Rufus chose in the Lord and his mother and mine. And so what's he saying there? He says, Rufus has a mother. She was his mother and she was my mother. In other words, she acted as if she raised me. She helped me. She encouraged me to grow. And so there are ladies in our church who are, who are like a mother to more than those who are your children or to those who are not your children you become a mother to them and then the other word he uses in this household context is countryman or kinsman we see this in verse 7 he says uh, Greek Andronicus and Junia my countryman uh, and then in verse 11 he says Greek Herodian my countryman some of your versions translate that word kinsman my kin. The word kinsman in a broad sense means nationality, and that's what some people take this to, to mean that they were the same nationality as Paul, but as a more in-depth, uh, intimate sense, it's talking about your kinfolk, your relatives. And in particular, the word actually means my cousin. My cousin is what the word means. And now, let's just get real honest everybody here, if we go back far enough, we're all cousins. Did you know that? And in Lewisburg, there's a certain segment of the population that uses this word cousin really well. They use the word cousin. I I know when I was coaching baseball, when our when our uh, sons were young from t-ball age, and we're at the draft, and we're picking our team, and I'm wanting to get the good players. I picked one young Boy, who I knew was good, and they said we got to take this other boy too. He had a different last name, and I said I'll take him. He's good. I'll take him too. I said, why do I get him too? They said they're cousins. I said, all right, they're cousins. So I coached them that year. We beat everybody. We go the next year. I'm picking those boys because you get two with one pick. And I get his cousin too. I pick one, and I get the other one automatically. This went on for years. So we get older, and we're like. 10, 11, 12 years old, nearing the end of rec league. You know, and I find out these boys, they're not even kin, really. They're not even <laughs> truthfully kin, but they call each other their cousin. And then I went, I went a year or two where I knew that, and I didn't say anything because I wanted them both on my team. So you guys are coaching, you can use that if you need to. Use it at your own discretion. As your, as your integrity will allow you, you can call certain ones your cousins. This word cousin means, it means it goes in two directions. Uh, if, if you knew somebody who uses this word freely, if they called somebody their cousin, that means they get everything that you're giving them. Like if, if I'm getting in the door, he's my cousin, you better let him in too. Or if, or it can go the other direction. If he's getting praise for something, then I will say, he's my cousin. You know, Rick, person who grew up in Lewisburg, who's... Played football in, in a very successful way for NC State, now uh, trying to play in the NFL and going forward in that direction, there's a lot of people in Lewisburg call Ricky their cousin. He's my cousin too, I want you to know him. He's my cousin. And so that's how it works, it goes in both directions to be our, our cousin. And I, I, want, I want you to know, I call a lot of you my cousin in the Lord. It's a beautiful household. The church is to be, and in verse six, you know, he says, "I give thanks," and the churches, all the churches, give thanks for you. He says in verse four, "I, I give thanks." At the end of verse four, I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles, and then in verse sixteen, he says, "The churches, and the end of the churches of Christ, greet you." And so there's this thanksgiving given by the churches for the people of the churches. I want you to think about the church, the house of God, the people of God. In, in, in our particular church, it's, it's just a, seems like a regular gathering of people with an impossible, invisible mission. We're young and old, male and female, married and unmarried, employed and some needing a job. None of us very much to look at. But all together, when we come together, we are a part of the beautiful church called the Bride of Christ. The ones that God has called out that he's put together in a group and he says, this is his beloved bride that he's one day going to come and get. There is a beauty here under the surface that many will never know and many will never see and many will never experience and they'll miss out. I remember when I come to Lighthouse, I come pretty discouraged about the church, almost ready to give up on the church, almost ready to give up on preaching because I had not experienced a loving church. I'd experienced the opposite. Praise God, he called me here, and I got to experience a loving church. You know, in our years at Lighthouse, God has called many pastors to come through here come through our church. They've been fired from another church or they've had some hardship with another church and they're ready to give up. You may not have known that but they were ready to give up. And they come and just be a part of Lighthouse Church and experience a loving church and they go out refreshed to serve in another church, in another place many times in another state for the glory of God. There have been members who've come through here in the same way this beautiful bride in its purest sense as we love one another and love those who come in among us. There is a power of God there that transforms lives. And that beautiful church, the bride of Christ, is something that, that Paul says, I'm thankful for. And all the churches of the Gentiles are thankful for you. I hope you're thankful for your church. I hope you're thankful for what God's doing there in our church. It's a beautiful thing, what he's doing here. I want to go into application. Number one. Paul mentions so many names here. I've I've butchered a lot of them and how I pronounce them, but he's mentioning so many different people. He's mentioning so many different things about them. How can he do this? He's never even been to Rome yet. He's not even visited their church yet. How can he do this? And I want to suggest that prayer explains how Paul can name so many people with such specific praises. He has obviously been praying for them. Been praying for them. If you say, I need to be more loving when I greet somebody, or I need to be more caring when I talk to somebody, I'm going to give you a clue, a hint on how to do that. Start praying for them. Start praying for them. And when you greet them, it'll show through in your greeting. When you love on them, It'll show through in the way you love for them. And so this prayer is the key in how Paul can list so many so specifically. Number two, it mentions many times here the words in the Lord or in Christ. In other words, we are in Christ. I am in Christ. You are in Christ. And together there is a bond there. Let me just show you these in verse 7. It says, uh, Greek, Adronicus and Junia, my countrymen, my fellow prisoners who are of note among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. We get verse 9. We see uh, Greek urbanus, our fellow worker, in, in Christ. We see it there. Verse 10. Apellus approved in Christ. Verse 11. Those are of the household of Narciss- Narcissus who are in the Lord. Verse 12. Labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis who labored in the Lord. Verse 13. Rufus and his mother and mine in the Lord. You see that in verse 13. So there's all of these mentions of being in the Lord or in Christ. Our very existence in salvation in the Lord automatically causes deep love. And powerful relationships inside the church that are unlike anything you'll experience anywhere else in all your life. We all have family struggles, don't we? I mean, we all have the bad one in the family, the ones in the family that don't get along. If you don't think you have any, you know this is the joke. You are the one that doesn't get along, and everybody doesn't like. But in the church in Christ there's the, the possibility for a, a love to occur with people of different opinions and different backgrounds and different upbringings and and there's just this bond. City folk and country folk can love one another and rich and poor can love one another and different nationalities can love one another. How? It's because we're in Christ we're in the Lord. If you ever meet a stranger on the street and you begin to just immediately sense the presence of God in your conversation and know this seems like my brother or this seems like my sister, it's because that is a very real thing. He is in Christ and you are in Christ and you're experiencing that from the moment you met. I saw a young girl this week, she had on a little bracelet and it said, all things are possible. All things are possible. I want you to know that there is a love possible inside the church that's not possible anywhere else. In the Lord. In Christ. Number three. He also, in this passage, often says, greet them. It's at the beginning of almost every verse. Starting verse six, look at it. Greet Mary, verse seven. Greet Hedronicus, verse eight. Greet Pamphylist. Verse nine, greet her famous. It's, it's the word translated. It's in almost every verse. It's some places it's translated in your version. Salute. It means to embrace them. It means to welcome them. It means to receive them joyfully. This means upon your first appearance before each other, you would reach out and receive each other with true joy. If you look down in verse sixteen, it gives us another way. It says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Oh my, you see that? You see that? That's there. Yeah, it's written there. It's also written in four other places in the New Testament where Paul will say to the church, greet each other with a holy kiss. This is not a common thing in our country, but it is common still today in some countries. The common thing mostly in the American church is maybe just a smile. Uh, Some churches are heavy on the handshakes. If you've been to one of those recently, you'll notice it pretty quickly. They're just shaking hands everywhere, shaking hands. Our church, what are we heavy on? What are we going? We usually hug, don't we? We're huggers. You uh, See that real genuineness in this mark of a holy kiss. There's something genuine about that. Uh, We didn't raise our children to necessarily kiss each other. We've not been the kind of parents who kiss our children. We didn't really want to do that you do I'm not judging you I'm just telling you how we are but there's something about the genuineness of this this kiss that he says to greet each other with there's another place that the kiss is mentioned in the New Testament is the kiss of Judas remember that his kiss of betrayal when Jesus is in the garden and he comes and he kisses Jesus to say this is him Take him to the cross Don't you wonder if that's the first time Judas had ever kissed Jesus? Don't you wonder? I'm sure Jesus knew what Judas was doing with that betrayal. But it was a fake kiss, one of Judas' it? It was fake. I would say the nearest thing to the fake kiss of Judas as a church would be a fake welcome. You see that? We're trying to do something to say, we want you here, but we really don't. That would be a judas like kiss. I hope we have none of those here. We have a real, genuine kiss, and Paul would say, greet them, salute them, receive them joyfully with a holy kiss. There's another place in the Bible where it mentions a kiss. It's the story of the prodigal son. remember that? When the prodigal son comes home, in that story, the father... Is God. In that story, the story is about God. The Father is God. And when the prodigal son comes home, he's been living in sin and doing all these things he shouldn't be done, doing. What does it say? It says the Father runs to him, puts a ring on his finger, a robe on his back, and kisses him. You remember that? Kisses him. There's a song out now. I listen to it quite often. He says in that song about the Father. uh, embracing his prodigal son, he says, with a kiss, a ring, and a robe. It feels like coming home for the first time in a long time, he says. And then he says in the end of that song, let all the prodigals come home. And he repeats it over and over. Let all the prodigals come home. If you've been running from God, come home. If you've been sinning and staying away from God, come home. And the reason you can cry out that repeatedly over and over is because that's the way Jesus will greet you. He'll put a ring on your finger and a robe on your back, and he'll kiss you. And he'll say, Welcome home. I met a guy in the gym this week who I was just talking to briefly, briefly, and he said something about karma. He said, I'm in for a world of hurt in the next few months. I'm going to get a lot of bad in my life because of karma. God's going to get me. I said, Hold on now. God doesn't teach karma. Jesus went to the cross to take all your bad that you've done, and God's going to give you grace. He'll welcome you and take you in. And I'm just, this guy, this guy was huge. He's a lot bigger than me. Guy. And, he's, and his tears start running down his cheeks. As I'm telling him this, well, you know what that happens when I'm preaching grace and he starts crying. You know what I did? I preached grace harder. <laughs> I just let go. Man, I didn't care who's listening or who's standing around. I'm telling him about the Lord and how God that will take you right now. There's nothing keeping you from coming to the Lord. Just ask Him to forgive you and run to Him. And that's how He'll take you back. He'll come with you to you with a kiss. That's the reason this welcome is so important. Because that's the way Jesus is. He takes you in openly like that. Do you know that that's one of the things that, as a young teenager who hadn't grown up in church, that's one of the things that brought me to church. I went to church for the first time when I was about 15 years old. I was going into my freshman year of high school playing basketball, and there was a group of guys there who played varsity basketball. They were 11th and 12th graders, and they invited me to come play basketball. That was huge to me. They didn't know me, I'm a freshman, they're juniors and seniors, and we're getting to play basketball, and it made me want to be a part of that group. Who are these people who would welcome somebody like me end. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Yes. And then number four. He mentions here that there are fellow prisoners. We see this in verse seven. He says, greet Adronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. And so these were people, let's start at the back. They were in Christ before me, verse seven. It means they were Christians before Paul was a Christian. He says they were of note among the apostles. In other words, the apostles noticed these guys, Adronicus and Junius, or this couple, or whatever they were. He noticed, The apostles noticed them. But not only that, they were in prison with Paul, fellow prisoners with him. They had been in jail with him similar to what he mentioned back in verse 4 we looked at last week. If you look back up there with me when he's talking about Priscilla and Aquila, this couple, he said they risked their necks for my life. They in some way put their life on the line for Paul. And he remembered it. It's because in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 16 he says at my first offense no one stood with me but all forsook me said the first time I got accused nobody stood with me everybody forsook me but now I've got Priscilla and Aquila they put their necks on the line for me and then I've got Adronicus and Junia they were in prison with me it's one thing to go to prison for your faith it's another thing to be in there with somebody else right beside you who has the same faith. there's a bond that comes in the heat of suffering that is stronger than any other bond much about welding when you're welding two pieces of steel together the thicker the steel the hotter the fire of the weld needs to be to melt both pieces together and some of you have gone through great suffering the depths of suffering and it was it was to soften you so that you could be bonded with others in your suffering And Cindy and I were going through cancer We we learned this we learned the beauty of this. We're suffering, and we've never felt more love. And there are people who come along and, and loved on us, and we felt this bond of relationship that we're literally gone for the rest of our lives. sense of peace I've never forgotten her you ask my wife and my family she's always been special to me and still is today she's special to my children and they barely know her why because she's she's daddy's aunt Debbie who was always there for me in the midst of suffering there is a bond that is formed like Paul is saying they were my fellow prisoners They put their life on the line for me. They were there with me when nobody else was there with me. And it's a special bond that's found in the church when people in the church are suffering. Some people in the church will never experience this bond. This bond of relational depth. And this bond of experiencing love from a church. Some people will never experience it. the church because they'll never share their hurts they'll never share their sufferings i'm not encouraging you to do like some churches and share menial things you know how that is the prayer list in some churches is such such minute things you know like my wife has a bad toenail and she's telling about her toenail and he's telling about how he's being sliced and diced in the night you know and it's so menial. You're like, don't even bring this up. We don't even. Should we even pray? Should we even know this? Much less pray about it for you. But there are other things that are serious. Things that you're almost embarrassed to tell. Things that you almost think I shouldn't tell. And maybe those are the ones that need to be told. Because there's a bond of relationship that comes when people pour out their love and genuineness to you. Do you know that if I was at a certain church today, I wouldn't preach what I just preached. If I were at certain churches today where I didn't believe the people were genuine, I would not encourage people to share their hurts and their sufferings. I would say, in in other words, keep it to yourself. Because all you're going to get is judgment. People are going to look down on you. They might even run you off. But that's not the case here not the case at all here. I don't know if it would be any case in any place here. If you poured out your heart and hurt and needs and suffering here, I think you would find just what Cindy and I found when we were suffering, you would find love and care. People would come alongside you maybe like never before and you would be bonded together in the depth of relationship and experience of love in the church. Maybe like you've never experienced before. Maybe it's one of the reasons why you're going through the suffering you're going through. So that you can be able to praise God for certain people that he puts in your life to carry you in these times of need. Paul says they're my favorite fellow prisoners, praise God for them. I want us to be this kind of church. I want it badly, I could say. But the thing is, I can't do anything to make us that kind of church. You know who makes us that kind of church? The same Jesus who does all the things I've preached about today. He brings us into himself and he teaches us how to be this kind of loving church. And when we are like that, it becomes known in the community. It becomes known in these walls, among these families. And it is the beautiful bride of Christ. And it is a taste of heaven. And it is a taste of what you'll get to experience eternally with the Lord one day. When everybody in heaven is so loving and so worshiping God and so real, it's going to be a beautiful day. God, help our church to be a glimpse of that for those who would experience Lighthouse Church until you return. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for what you're doing here among our church, for the love that is displayed here, the kindness that is displayed here, and we pray, Father, that there would not be anything phony or <coughs> fake or cowardice here, but that it would be real genuine. and genuine. Father, I pray for those who are here today who need to experience that kind of love, that they would be able to. love of the brothers, love of the sisters, family-like care. It's sometimes just needed, Lord. Sometimes we just need that. Thank you, Father, for loving us like that and being there for us when no one else is. Father, I pray that you would pour out your spirit on this church and make us a beautiful and glorious and spotless bride in your sight give a glory to your name until you return. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's stand together.